Welcome to the Galloway and Isbell podcast. My name is Thomas Galloway. This morning, we had the opportunity to interview Dr. Douglas Gentile, a developmental psychologist here at Iowa State. He has been named one of the 300 best professors in the United States by the Princeton Review and has appeared on radio shows such as NPR's Morning Edition. His work has been reported on CNN, Good Morning America, The Today Show, as well as the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and Washington Post. One of Dr. Gentile's areas of expertise is researching the effects of video games on children, so we asked him a number of questions about that topic. If you'd like to learn more about his work, you can visit drdouglas.org. If you're a new listener to this podcast and would like to hear more, we'd recommend episodes 2, 8, and 9. Those episodes have gotten the most response from our listeners so far. In episode 2, we answer the question, what is the biggest animal you could beat up in a fight? In episode 8, we discuss restaurant etiquette. And in episode 9, we give our opinions on dark wedding rings and tell some road rage stories. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow on SoundCloud, and share with a friend. It really, really does help. So in a moment, we will get you to the interview. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Morning Bell Coffee Roasters. Morning Bell offers a diverse and unique selection of specialty coffees and have direct personal relationships with their suppliers. You can visit Morning Bell at 111 Main Street in Ames, Iowa, or get their coffee at the Wheatsville Co-op or either Hy-Vee locations here in Ames. If you do not live in the area, no problem. You can order off the website morningbellcoffee.com and shipping is free anywhere in the United States if you order over two pounds of coffee. And whether you visit the actual location or order online, let them know we sent you. They like hearing how new customers hear about their business, and it shows us and them that this sponsorship thing actually works. So without further ado, let's get you to the interview. Okay, well, today we are with Dr. Douglas Gentile, Professor of Development Psychology here at Iowa State. Thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure. Yeah, so we have a few questions, um, starting with your background. I love questions. Questions are great. <sighs> starting with your background, what got you into development psychology? Well, uh, as an undergraduate, I uh, found that I loved doing psychological research. You know, that you could actually answer questions right. scientifically was, uh, was very exciting to me. And uh, so when, you know, the type of research I did at that time was in job satisfaction, so industrial organizational psychology, that area. And it was interesting, but it didn't really excite me. Right. Uh, so then when I was thinking about going on to graduate school, all I really knew is what I didn't want to do. Right. Uh, I didn't want to do industrial organizational. I knew I didn't want to do clinical because I would be a terrible therapist. Uh, so how do you choose then if you, all you know is what you don't want? Right. And developmental is a way of choosing without choosing because you can still do social... Uh, personality, experimental, clinical, neuro, perception, right. you know, ju you just have to tie it to development. So it, okay. it was a way of choosing without choosing, I think, is okay. one of the main reasons. And uh, the other bad reason <laughs> is uh, developmental psych was one of the early classes I took in psychology, and the teacher was gorgeous. <laughs> and I just sat there having very warm feelings about right. developmental psychology. So so classical conditioning works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Very good. So 
as far as the studying the violence with video games and effects mm-hmm. on children, that seems to be your area of focus. It's one area of focus, okay. yeah. And what f- put you in that direction? Well, careers are nonlinear. Right. And I, uh, although I had the intention after graduate school of being a professor, then I decided not to, and I went in and I did market research. Okay. Uh, and my favorite client when I was in market research was a little nonprofit organization called the National Institute on Media and the Family. And when they got big enough to want to do their own research, they hired me away as their director of research. And so in that role, my, my job was specifically to conduct research and translate it for, you know, that could be useful for the public, for professionals that work with kids, or for uh, public policy. And in the 90s, this question, you know, games, game violence changed somewhat dramatically in the 90s with the advent of the first-person shooter. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting a lot of questions from parents. You know, is this, you know, what effect does this have? And I said, well, we really don't know yet. You know, so we yeah. started doing research on that, uh, basically just to be able to answer the question that parents were having. Right. Okay, and what were typical studies that you performed to figure this out? Well, we've done many different designs. Each each method in science has certain strengths and then also certain weaknesses. And so any one study doesn't tell you a whole lot because mm-hmm. you can't tell necessarily from it uh, everything you want. Right. So a, an exper- a true experiment, you can get a causality uh, because you've randomly assigned kids to either play a... a violent game or a non-violent game that are equal in other dimensions and then you just see are they more aggressive afterwards right. or not mm-hmm. um, and we you know it's not something about their personality because they didn't get to choose the game you right. know, they were they were randomly assigned to it but we can't look at real world aggression because it would not be ethical to let the kids hit right. each other uh, afterwards so we use proxy measures for aggression such as uh, giving shocks or giving loud sound blasts mm-hmm. or or uh, doing things that make it harder for that person to win a gift card, or right. you know, things that are, are mean but yeah. not, you know, not type of aggression you'd usually see on the playground. Right. So, to fill that hole, we would do a survey study where we can actually talk about, you know, how kids behave in school and get surveys from teachers right. or peers or, or self-report for that matter, because interestingly, kids are very willing to tell you how aggressive <laughs> they are. Right. Uh, and so that shows us the real-world aggression, but from that type, we can't tell causality. Mm-hmm. So they kind right. of each, uh, you know, the one is strong where the other is weak, the other one, right. and so they, when you do them both and they both point the same direction, you start trusting uh, that you're finding something real. But that still doesn't necessarily tell you about, you know, over time. Yeah. Is it actually changing people? So for that, you need a longitudinal study where you study the same kids over time. Mm-hmm. And we've done those studies as well, where we find that the kids who are playing more violent video games at the beginning of this study, it changes the way they think okay. and the way they see the world. Um, and you carry the way you think with you everywhere. Right. And this is perhaps one of my favorite studies because it really helps to explain the effect in a way that you don't usually get to learn about in uh, you know, the mainstream press. Right. So we followed 3,000 kids for three years. Okay. So big study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Quick question. Sure. For when they started this study, what age were they uh, They were 
if I remember correctly, they were uh, second and or third and fourth grade and seventh and eighth grade. Okay. So actually, even a wide range of kids. Right. Right. But but uh, but younger kids. Okay. And we measured three types of aggressive cognition. Uh, the first is called hostile attribution bias, and what that is is it's we all know people who, when something annoying happens, they can let it roll off their shoulders, right? And they they yep. just give the other person the benefit of the doubt. We also know people who take everything very personally, right? This is more that second side, that you, when something annoying happens, you have a bias for attributing hostility to it. You assume okay. the other person meant to make you mad. Now, if you think about playing a violent video game, you're constantly hypervigilant for something to come out and right. attack you. Yeah. So you're practicing being ready for someone to be mean to you. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's actually... Change, and what it does is it does change their kids' hostile attribution bias. They start expecting things happen in the world because people are trying to be mean. Right. Um, the second type of aggressive cognition is called normative beliefs about aggression. And this is how acceptable you think it is to behave aggressively when provoked. Okay. And again, we all know people who, uh, if, you know, if I provoked you, I insulted you, or I pushed you, or even hit you, you know, lots of people would just refuse to engage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and others, I guess the other extreme is hit first. Right. Uh, <laughs> don't be the person who hit second. <laughs> this, again, is more like that side of it, right. that you start thinking it's more acceptable to be provoked, or to, to uh, hit back when provoked. Right. If you think about playing a violent video game, it's always acceptable. Not only that, it gets rewarded. The better you are at it, the faster you are at it. Uh, and then sometimes if you shoot first, it's, you know, again, it's right. even better still, right? So you're constantly being rewarded for that in a game. And the third type is aggressive fantasies, how much you actually spend time thinking about how you'd like to hurt other people. And right. the whole time you're playing a violent game, that's you're practicing an aggressive fantasy, right? right? So these are the three types of... Uh, aggressive cognitions we measured, we found that all three of them shifted over the, these three years of the study. Um, actually, it's two years. It's three data points, one year apart each. Um, but, uh, and, and so now imagine that kid in the hallway at school. He gets bumped. Because he's been playing these games, he stops assuming it was an accident. Right. right? He starts assuming the guy meant to do it or meant okay. to make him mad. Another thing you practice in these games is the minute you see something that could be an aggressive encounter, you quickly shift your attention yeah. uh, you know, to it, and you call to mind a, a possible response. Now, the thing humans generally do when they're not necessarily sure what to do is the thing that comes to mind first. Right. Uh, this is called the availability heuristic. Uh, and so whatever comes to mind first is most available. It's usually the thing we do. Well, the thing that comes to mind first is the thing you've practiced the most. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. In violent games, all you've ever practiced is an aggressive response, usually. Uh, and so, uh, because they've also been rewarded for behaving aggressively when provoked, and they think it's more acceptable, you can see how the odds have shifted in that hallway that the kid will now push back or you know or hit or say something unkind, and then the then the odds of it escalating into an right. aggressive encounter really go up. Right. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is. If that happens, the aggression that happens in that school hallway looks nothing like what they were playing in the game. Right. Kids aren't copying 
That's no, the mistake everyone thinks. Right. They're not copying it. It changes the way you think and Mindset, see the world. Yeah. And you carry the way you think with you everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so when it happens, no one's going to say, oh, this is due to games. Right. But it was. Right. Yeah. Not, not directly, but... It's a mindset. It's that, a mindset, yeah. yeah. And so it just shifts that, uh, just that subtle little shift of attention. Right. Can cascade into a, a completely different set of odds of how you would behave. Yeah. And that's what we found, is that the kids, you know, who were playing the games at the first start of the study two years later were more aggressive, but that's part of it, mainly because they're, the way they thought and saw the world was changing. Right. That's really interesting. So you mentioned what you practice the most. And mm -hmm. so is there a certain amount of time? I know a lot of people talk about instituting time limits for games. Sure. Is there a, a kind of tipping point of amount of time per, game, per day or per week or whatever that really escalates that, um, that behavior? The scientifically correct answer is we don't know. Okay. Uh, I usually go fall back on the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations. They say... Uh, since no more than one hour of total screen time. So that's not just games. That's right. TV and DVDs and Netflix and handheld games and cell phone games. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, add it all up, no more than one hour a day for elementary school-age kids, no more than two hours a day for secondary school-age kids. Okay. Uh, that does not include if you're using, like, computers or things for work or for your school. Then that's free, you know. That's right. So this is entertainment use, no more than one to two hours a day. Okay. And the average kid is six to ten. Yeah, I believe that. That's a lot more. That's a lot more, yes. So as far as, uh, I saw that some of these studies were looking at the positive and negative effects sure. of video yeah, games. Yeah. So what are some of the positive effects? Sure, so, I mean, when we're talking about most video game effects, not not true for all, but uh, what we're talking about is learning, right? Right. You, you know, your grandmother was a great neuroscientist. She told you practice makes perfect. She was right. You know, yeah. whatever you practice, you get better at. So if you're playing aggressive games, you're going to get better at aggressive yeah. ways of thinking and behaving. Yeah. If you're playing games that are pro-social, where you actually help other characters care about their feelings, take care of them, things like that, uh, then what we found also, again, in multiple studies, of multiple methods, uh, across multiple countries, again, same right. as we've done with the, the violent games, we find that kids who play those, uh, what changes for them isn't so much the way they think it, what changes for them is their empathy. Okay. They start having greater empathy for people around them, and right. that in turn leads to having more helpful and cooperative behaviors. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like games are bad or right. good, it's, it's that you know, humans get better at whatever they practice. Right. And even, say, the violent games, have some uh, positive effects, such as they help you become better at picking up small uh, details of information from a screen, which would be useful if you're going to be an air traffic controller. Right. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't, so you know, although it has that benefit, it's not actually necessarily uh, that useful a benefit, right. <laughs> at least when you compare it to heightened odds of aggression. Right. Yeah. Okay, so this could just be more of an anecdotal observation on my part, but is there a particular reason why the aggressive games in aggressive nature have seemed more popular than other games, or is it just a concentration um, or a, a certain game that became really popular that happened to be aggressive? Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of many things. Um, on the human side of it, uh, sex and violence have important 
value for survival, right? right? This is so when something aggressive happens, you must look at it. Like, right. You know, if you're driving down the highway, there's been a terrible car crash, uh, traffic is you know down to a tiny little crawl, and just as you come up past where the crash is, you see the ambulance, you know, moving bodies around. Don't look. Right. I promise you, you can't <laughs> not look. Right. You must look. You will feel this huge tension to have to look. Right. What does it have to do with you and your life? Nothing. Mm-hmm. And you must look at it because in a minute there's blood around. Yeah. We've got to look, yeah. uh, which is useful as, as, you know, so at an evolutionary level, yeah. right? So that's why there's so much sex and violence on TV in a sense, just and, and games, just because it, it makes you look. And, of course, attention is the coin of the realm. Yeah. That's how they get advertising dollars. That's right. how they get you to buy the game. That's how, you know. Yeah. So that's that's one aspect. Another is uh, there were some games that really revolutionized it. You know, in the '90s, it was Castle Wolfenstein, the first first-person shooter, in uh, and then with Grand Theft Auto III, where you could just be a criminal sociopath and uh, and do whatever the heck you wanted. That was that was revolutionary to the game industry, and and the game industry is just like Hollywood. When there's one blockbuster. Everyone comes along and copies it then for the next several years. Um, But I think the real answer is it's a failure of imagination. Okay. It is much easier. Try this sometime. Try to script a game. Right. And what would you get points for? It's really simple to come up with a game where you fight things. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's much harder to come up with an interesting game where where you never get points for hurting or shooting or hitting <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah. How do you reward empathy? <laughs> and and so I think it's just you know a failure of imagination. Okay. We, we've not put the same resources right. into trying to figure out how to create equally interesting games mm-hmm. that don't use fighting as a mechanism. Right. So back to a bit to the study with the difference between the thir- second and third graders or third and fourth graders. Mm-hmm. And the sixth and seventh graders, did I would assume that it had a larger effect on the younger kids. But is that correct? Or? We didn't. I'm not sure that we measured that or looked at that. So I can't tell you for certain from that study. Right. What I have seen across studies of all different ages is there isn't really a larger effect on kids. Okay. Um, there's also not a larger effect on boys. There's also not a larger effect. Uh, there's some evidence that maybe there's a slightly larger effect on kids who are already aggressive, but I've also seen the opposite, right. where there's a larger effect on the unaggressive kids because they have more to grow, more right. to grow that way. Um, and on the one hand, you might think that's surprising, um, but on the other, when we talk about this is a learning thing, right. do boys and girls learn differently? No, they don't. Uh, do uh, younger kids learn differently from older kids? No. Do Japanese kids learn differently from American kids? No. Um, yes, girls, for example, are far less likely to play violent video games, yeah. and they're far lower base rate likely to be physically aggressive. Yeah. But the girls who play the violent video games are the girls who are who right. hit. Right. Uh, so, so the effect's not different. Uh, but the odds of them getting that effect are different. Um, So I think the difference between younger kids and 
adults playing these games is the effects the same even on adults right. uh, as from from what from what I've seen in the literature it's just adults have a whole lot more resources right, right. Uh, the most violent people on the planet if by violent you want to say willing to hit are three-year-olds <laughs> yeah right the minute they get frustrated they have nothing out no other right. resources they, they don't know what else to do but hit yeah. right as we get older, we gain a lot more resources. We right. gain a lot more you know, emotional control and behavioral control. We have new ideas of other things, we could, other ways we could handle the right. situation. So even though it's still kind of heating it up, it's still pushing the odds up exactly the same it is for a second grader, you're not going to see the effect show up in behavior right. the same way because you've got, you know, even when provoked, you've got a lot more resources and better knowledge about how to handle situations right. like this. Mm -hmm. uh, so the odds of you hitting in response are much lower <laughs> than the odds yeah. for the second grader. But it doesn't mean the effect psychologically of playing that game is, you know, it's still changing the way you think. Right. Uh, but now you've got other, you've, you've got other possibilities. So, so I think the effect's the same, but the way it manifests in behavior is very different. Right. The same way, you know, that you can you know, increase the aggressiveness of both boys and girls. Boys will be more willing to hit. Girls will be more willing to say, I'm having a party and you're not invited. Right. Right. They're both aggression, increased right. aggression, but they're different styles of yep. aggression. Similarly, kids' aggression and adult aggression, yeah. different styles. American aggression and Chinese you know, way they express aggression, different styles. Right. So it often looks different, which makes people think, oh, it must not be have the same effect. Right. No, it's just, uh, you know, at the psychological level, it's the same effect we're learning. Right. Um, the way we express that learning, that can vary by individual and by culture and by sex. Right. Okay. Very interesting. So I have a couple more questions. One of them being, can any credence be given to the idea that playing these video, violent video games could get out some of the violent uh, urges? Yes. The, the aggression catharsis hypothesis. Okay. This is an elegant hypothesis, actually, that by playing a uh, violent video game, watching a violent movie, it could decrease your aggressiveness in the real world because it allows you to you know, blow off steam right. uh, so that you know, in a, in a, or get your aggression out in a socially acceptable way. Uh, the problem with it is there are at least four problems with it. <laughs> the first is it's, uh, it's a hydraulic drive metaphor. Okay. Um, so the pressure builds and builds and builds, and if you don't release that pressure, the system explodes. Right. Okay. Now humans do have drives like that. Hunger. We get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier yeah. and hungrier. And what happens if we don't eat? You die. You die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the system explodes. Yeah. Right. All right. Thirst. You get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. If you don't drink, yep. you die. Yeah. Sleep. You get more and more tired, and if you don't sleep for enough days, you die yeah. from that. Aggression's not like that. Okay. You don't get more and more and more aggressive. Yeah, sorry, you're going to die, studies show. <laughs> but it's not because you weren't aggressive enough. Right. Um, in fact, we get less and less aggressive as we get older. Yeah. So that, the, the, the metaphor is actually wrong. It's, it doesn't, although we talk about that way, we use words like vent your aggression or blow off steam, right? right. We, we act, that makes it clear. We do believe it's some kind of hydraulic yeah. metaphor. But it isn't. So, that, so the idea is wrong. All right. Let's say that modern idea 
is wrong. How about the, the original idea, which was, comes from Aristotle? In the Poetics, he's actually talking about media violence. He's uh, media of his time, plays, poetry, music. He says, for catharsis to happen, um, and it comes from the verb kathirain, which means to purify, not get rid of, okay. to purify. Now, okay. in Aristotle's ethics, he's always trying to make, he always uses the word man, so I'll use it, you know, right, yeah. man moral, and and you've, you become moral by by purifying the extremes, Okay. right? You, you, yeah. you, you recognize uh, how terrible an extreme emotion is, so you, you live in this more, you know, moderate world. He's a, he's a man of moderation, right? That's, that's the moral man, is the man of moderation. Right. Um, so we're kind of using the word catharsis wrong, because we mm. use it meaning get rid of, right. when in fact it means purify, which yeah. is an interesting difference. But I was just looking that word up the other day, and it did not... That purify part was not clear, and connotation has not led me to believe that either. Right. But, you know, here's the value of a classical liberal arts education. <laughs> go, go learn some Greek, go read your Aristotle, uh, <laughs> you'll understand where these modern ideas really come from. Now, what Aristotle says is catharsis happens, but it, there are certain rules the, uh, the, the play or you know, whatever the medium is has to go by. Rule number one is it has to evoke two emotions in the viewer, fear and pity. That's an interesting combination. So Oedipus yeah. spends his whole life trying not to sleep with his mother and kill his father. He finds out he's still dead, he rips his eyes out, and you feel fear and pity because you know you can't avoid your fate either. Right? right? right. Uh, that's a, but modern media violence doesn't do that. There's lots of fear in it, right? Yeah. But it's fear and revenge. Yeah. Uh, it's fear and anger. It's fear and, and aggression. It's never fear and pity. He says rule two is the bad thing can never happen to the bad guy because that's justice. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right? That's not that's not going to evoke fear and pity. That's yeah. going to evoke feelings of you know goodness, right. right? So the bad thing can only happen to the good guy, but it can never happen because of a bad guy. It can okay. only happen from your friend. And not because your friend meant to be mean to you for some error. Uh, so even if Aristotle was right, and there's no evidence he was, <laughs> uh, we modern media violence doesn't build the stories the right way to get catharsis. But the third problem is that there are hundreds and hundreds of high-quality studies now. The kids could come into my lab, play the violent game, and then be less aggressive. Right. Studies are designed to actually measure that. Yeah. They just never are! <laughs> Never! <laughs> uh, sometimes there's no effect. You right. know, not every kid's affected by the game, same game the same way, but it's n whenever there is an effect, it's always more aggressive. Right. Uh, and even studies designed to show catharsis works show it doesn't. So okay. another study that was done here at Iowa State, not by me, but by my colleague Brad Bushman, he had students, uh, the simplified version is he had students come in, they got insulted by uh, another student, uh, half of them were allowed to punch a punching bag to get their anger right. out. The other half were just told to sit there and stew, basically. Mm -hmm. And then they were given a chance to give the, uh, the person who had insulted them shocks. Okay. Right? And if they punched the punching bag, they gave them way more yeah. shocks. <laughs> Interesting. Because, oh. again... Uh, you know, first of all, the you know the venting is wrong. Didn't work, well, yeah. so what's right? Practice, practice. They practice, practice. aggression. They were more aggressive. Right. The people who just sat there. Yeah, they might have ruminated about it, which yeah. and rumination can lead to aggression. Yes, but not to the level that practicing right. does. Right.
Uh, and so even studies designed to show catharsis works show it doesn't. It doesn't. But that's not even the worst uh, problem with catharsis. The worst problem is it's not how the brain works. How do you memorize a phone number? Split it up. Okay, and then do what with it? I put it, I write down or put, you, keep you, it. You, yeah. you rehearse it in yeah. some way, right? Yeah. You have to repeat it to yourself in some way. Yeah. You write it down, you can see it there. So does seeing it one more time take it out of your brain? No. No. That's the catharsis idea. Seeing it out right. here will take it away from you. But right. that's not how the brain works. Every time right. you see it is one more learning trial. Every right. time you do it, burns it in deeper. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no possible way right. catharsis can work. Right. So why does it feel like it does? Why does everyone believe it? Well, one, they want to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to believe the science on this, right? But it actually does feel right phenomenologically. If you ask violent gamers why they like playing, one of the things they'll often tell you is they like the adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. That's actually a very interesting statement because it's accurate. How do they know it's adrenaline they're feeling? But they are. They are feeling adrenaline. They're feeling adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol and testosterone. These are the glucocorticoids and catecholamines, the so-called stress hormones. Okay. Those are exactly the same cocktail of hormones you would drop into your blood if I punched you right now. Okay. That's interesting. You know it's just a game, right. and yet your body is reacting as if you're really in a physical fight. Yeah. So now normally when you feel that, when that set of cocktails is running through your bloodstream, you're not enjoying what's going on, right? right, right. In yeah, all right. of human history, if you if those four <laughs> you know, uh, hormones are in your bloodstream, not it's not going well for you at yeah. that moment. You're not having fun. <laughs> so to feel it and be safe is actually an interesting feeling for yeah. us, right? Uh, because that's not something we usually like that feeling. Okay. That, But here when you're just playing game, you actually... Even though your body can't tell the difference between fake violence and real violence, you can. Your mind can, right. so you know you're safe. Yeah. Uh, although you still often you get angry, you yell at the screen, you do all sorts of things that are actually you are behaving aggressively. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> But that system, that that stress system, was designed to to deal with acute dangers. The tiger leaps at you. You need all of those hormones in it because what do they do? They, they shut down your digestion because there's no point in digesting your breakfast if you might be someone's lunch. Right. They send all that blood that used to be working on your digestion out to your periphery, so uh, it, they, it restricts your veins so that if you get raked by the claws, you won't bleed as much. It increases your, your uh, uh, blood pressure and your heart rate so that you're getting more blood and oxygen flowing to all the major muscles. Pulls lipids out into the bloodstream, so you have energy ready for, uh, you know, this this fight that's going on. So you can fight harder and run faster. But after about five ten minutes, you should be done. You're either dead, or you got away. Right. It was never designed to be for kicked hours. on for hours. <laughs> and so, if you're sitting there playing this game for an hour or two or three or four, by the, as soon as you turn it off, your body goes into overtime trying to come back to normal. Right. Right. And you go. Oh, oh. and you feel so relaxed because your body, you just had one of the worst workouts of your life, yeah. right? Imagine being in a war zone for four hours. That's what it would be <laughs> like, you know? Your body needs to relax, and that, make, that feeling of relaxation makes you believe you're less aggressive. Right. But in fact, if your brother walked into the room right then and insulted you, you're much more likely to hit him. Yeah. 
The issue is right after that, you're usually not in a place where aggression's likely. Right? You're usually in your home, bedroom, and yeah. you're, you're now it's late at night, and you, so you go to bed or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So you don't recognize that, in fact, the way you're thinking and feeling lead, would lead you to be more aggressive if there was an opportunity for it. Right. So it feels right physiologically that, oh, I'm so relaxed now. It's you're not really relaxed. It's, you're in recovery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but all those aggressive thoughts and feelings are primed. Right. And so if something came along and looked aggressive to you, you'd react much faster in an aggressive way to right. it. Okay. Very interesting, yes. So where can people find out more about your work? And I saw you have a website. I do. It's uh, douglasgentile.com, or the easier one to remember is drdouglas.org. I think that's where I went, yeah. yeah. And they both go to the same both, place. Okay, same yeah. place. Gotcha. All right, very good. <laughs> but this way they don't have to know how to spell my name. Right. <laughs> the simpler one. Yes. Well, thank you very much for your time. My this pleasure. This is really interesting. This is yeah. very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah.